are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Usually fight the urge and I don't say it, but today I'm not fighting the urge, I'm going to say it. You look absolutely incredible. Glad that you're here. I love our church and I love sharing God's word with you. But today I'm only going to talk about one thing, okay? So you say, well, I listen to you preach a lot, Rick, and you always talk about one thing. You're kind of this one point preacher. Every time we leave, we kind of know you just kind of talked about one thing. But I'm not just saying that I'm only talking about one thing, but the one thing that I'm going to talk about today is actually one thing. That's what I want to talk about. So you may say, okay, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to get with you, but, but help me out a little bit. What, what do you mean when you say you want to talk about one thing? So I think the best way that I can communicate it to you is put it in the form of a question. So are you ready for the question? I can't hear you. All right, here's the question. Here we go. Is there one thing that you want more than anything? In other words, is there one thing in your life that you say, I want that more than I want everything else? Or there's one thing that's more important to me than everything else in the world? Or there's one thing that like matters more to me than anything else matters to me? Or there's one thing that I really want, one thing that I love, one thing that I desire? And if so, then what is the one thing in your life? So I got to tell you a story. It's kind of funny in a way. I, I was uh, with a coworker not too long ago at a meeting because these two ladies that run this really cool ministry, they wanted to, to meet with us. And so we did. So, so we, we meet with them and uh, the lady leading the meeting, uh, she said, and there are only four of us, she said, what I'd love for us to do is take a few couple of minutes. We're going to set a timer we will come into our breath, and then I'll say a prayer, and then we'll meet. Well, I didn't know what come into your breath meant. I still probably don't know what it means. But anyway, she crosses her legs in the chair, and I'm not going to because I'll fall off the stool. But she crosses her legs, she holds out her hands, they set the timer, and I'm like, I have no idea what's happening right here. And finally, they closed their eyes, and so I thought, well, you know, when in Rome, you know. And so I closed my eyes, and... Um, and after a couple of minutes, the timer goes off, and then the lady says the prayer, and then we start the meeting. So this is kind of funny. We're, we're leaving, you know, the meeting's over, and I say to my coworker, I said, that coming to your breath thing was a little weird. I didn't know what that was. Did you? And my coworker said, no, I didn't either. And then I said, but secretly, I liked it, you know? It's like you're driving down the road going 70 miles an hour. You're going from meeting to meeting throughout your day, and all of a sudden, you just, you just, stomp on the brake, you lock up all four wheels, you just stop dead center in the middle of the road, and you just do nothing. I prayed. The full two minutes, I just kind of sat there and I just talked to God. And I loved it. So, I don't want to make you feel weird, but I'm always okay making you feel a little weird. And so I just wondered if maybe we could take like 45 seconds or so close our eyes and just have a conversation with God about this one thing. And I think the prayer might go something like this, God, help me to kind of admit to myself 
what I want more than any other thing? What's the one thing in my life that I want most? You may even say, I don't, I don't think it's right what I want, but that's what I want. And I'm not going to tell anybody because I, or you might say, God, I think I'm right on the one thing. So would you just be willing to pray about what it is? Jesus asked people more than once, what do you want? And here's the truth. Everybody in this room, you want something. Right now, there is something that you want. In fact, everybody in the room has one thing they want more than any other thing in the world. And so could we close our eyes? If you're comfortable with that, I'll set a timer. And could you just take, and if you're online, don't be like pushing numbers like your uh, buttons. Uh, There's nothing wrong with the sound. We're just going to be quiet, okay, for like 45 seconds. Here we go. Would you pray about the one thing? Was it weird? A little bit. So I'll ask you again. Is there one thing that you want more than anything? So we're in this series called World Upside Down, where Jesus gives these blessings, the Beatitudes, and, uh, and it seems like everything he says is just a little bit like upside down because he says, you know who's living the good life? You know who's living the best life in this world? You know who's living the blessed life in this world? It's people who have a pure heart. Now, in our culture, you may hear a different narrative. You may hear people say, no, I think the people that are living the really good life are the people who are kind of like maybe rich famous, people are just swimming in money, people have no health problems. No, I think maybe culture would say that's the good life. And Jesus would argue. He would say, now listen, I'm not saying that's how it is everywhere, and I'm not saying that's how it always been, but what I'm trying to say is that God is doing a new thing, and God is establishing his kingdom on earth, and, and in God's kingdom, the pure in heart are living the best life possible. Because they see God. Pretty cool, huh? So let me dive in to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them the blessings or the beatitudes, he said. So blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are the people who know they need God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, or those who are really sorry for their sins, 
for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Those who say, I don't have to be in control of my life. I want to live a God-controlled life, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who say, I don't think I can exist without righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom, for, rather, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, the, the person who has compassion for other people and is quick to forgive, for they will be shown mercy. And today, blessed are the pure in heart. The person who says, the one thing that I want more than anything is God and what God wants for me. For they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers next week, for they will be called children of God. And in two weeks from now, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's talk about the pure in heart today, okay? So I, I think it's the week. And um, last Saturday, I was over at Southern Nazarene University for a new student institute. And people were moving in, and I was having conversations with parents. And um, then this week on social media, I've seen a lot of friends of mine who are moving their kids into dorms this past week. And, and it kind of made me think a lot about when I went away to college. I went to a junior college in my hometown and lived at home for the first year. And then I really felt a great desire and felt like God was leading me to go to another school, Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee. No shout outs, none. Okay, I'll move on. And so, so I load up my little car and uh, with some clothes, honestly, that was it. And, and I didn't, I wasn't raised in a family that attended a university nobody had before. And so we weren't real, you know, I didn't know there was a, you know, somehow I missed it if they sent me mail that there was a orientation for transfers. And so I just show up the night before classes are to begin the next day, which was not great. Okay. And I remember taking my clothes into the dorm, which took about five minutes. And so hung some stuff up in the closet put some stuff in a dresser, and then it was time to go to the cafeteria. I had a roommate, but didn't really know him at that point at all. And I walk over to the cafeteria. So I'm walking across a campus that feels very unfamiliar to me. And honestly, there was a lot of anxiety inside of me to walk into that cafeteria by myself. I stood in the line by myself. I finally got my food and I sat down at a table by myself. And, and I found myself in an environment where it felt like to me that everybody there knew one another. And I didn't know anybody and nobody knew me. And so as I walked back to my dorm to describe my experience in the cafeteria as a less than welcoming, welcoming experience would be kind of an understatement. I, I remember sitting down in my dorm room. I'm, I'm by myself. And, you know, what do you do? for the next few hours, and I didn't know. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I, I don't know if I can do this, you know. And then it wasn't, I don't know if I can do the schoolwork. That, that wasn't the concern at all. It was, I don't, I don't know if I can deal with this loneliness. I, I don't know if I can actually do this. And so finally, I just decided if I'm going to succeed here, I'm going to have to make friends. And so I, I put myself under this mandate, under this ultimatum, and I'm not making this up. This was my rule. I could not go to my dorm at night to go to sleep until I had 
introduced myself and tried to build a friendship with at least three people during the day. And I remember there were nights that I would find myself in the library right before it closed looking around for a victim like who could I introduce myself, you know, and try to build a friendship with before I can go to my room, you know. But the truth is it worked. In fact, it worked really well. And by the time I get to Thanksgiving break, I I couldn't imagine being gone away from the campus that many days, and I couldn't imagine life not on the campus. I'd made lots of friends. But if you want to talk about what I wanted, I'll tell you what I wanted. That night sitting in my dorm, I wanted a friend. I wanted somebody to go to that stupid cafeteria with. I didn't want to sit by myself again. Do you think it's interesting that in this list of blessings that Jesus gives us, that he goes to the center of human life and he talks about the heart? Think about it. The part of you that longs and wants and desires, the part of you that feels, the part of you that hurts, the part of you that delights, the part of you that makes choices, the part of you that loves. Now, in the world that I live in, I feel like that we sometimes have this other mindset and we see the brain as central. It's like we are first and foremost thinkers. We are thinking human beings. But that was not the case with Jesus' thinking. And it was not the case with the people that lived when Jesus lived. For Jesus, the center of the human personality was the heart. And we are first and foremost not thinkers, but we are first and foremost lovers. And therefore, what I desire... And what I want defines me. And so I think it makes me want to ask you the question again. What do you want more than anything else? I'm not talking about something to eat. It's going to be chocolate if it's something to eat, okay? But I'm talking about bigger than that. I'm not talking about like which friend do you want more than other. No, it's like what do you want in life? When you think about your future, what do you want? So, when, when I say so and then walk back, it means I've lost my place. I love, I love golf. I love it. I do. I mean, I love it like I love watermelon. I just love golf, you know. And so one of the conversations that we never have at my house is my wife saying, Rick, could you just sit down and look me in the eye and could we have a conversation? Yes, baby. This never happens. She never says, could we talk about maybe you making golf more a priority in your life? I'm just worried that you're not giving golf enough time. I don't think you watch enough golf on TV. I don't think you play enough golf. I don't think you practice enough golf. Could we talk to you about maybe, maybe you just make golf more a priority in your life. We never have that conversation because it's the opposite of that. I, I always think about golf. 
You know, I stand around doing this. No club in my hand. I just stand around thinking, okay, you know. I just think about golf. I think about putting. Why was that awkward the other day? My putt. I don't know. This putting chart. I, just, I love golf. And so I find myself like, I, I don't even know how I got there. I'm just like standing on the tee box with the driver in my hand. Thinking, how did I get here? I don't even know. It, it's the same way with coffee. I love coffee. I was in Africa last month. Do you know what I did every day when I got up in Africa? I drank a cup of coffee. Where'd you get it? It was hard some days, but I was on a search. I got to find some coffee. It's the same thing with ice cream. I just find myself standing in front of ice cream shops. How did I get it? I don't know. So James K. Smith writes a book called You Are What You Love. And here's the point that he makes. We live into what we want. You know the old saying? People are going to do what they want to. It's true. So when I say to you, is there something that you want more than anything else in the world? The reason that's so important is because you live into your wants. You're going to do what you really want. Here's another way to say it. Your life is a reflection of the one thing that you want more than anything. You know the real you, right? And the life that you're living today is a reflection of the one thing that you want more than anything. So we become what we want. We become what we love. You say, Rick, what if I want money? What do I become? I don't know, greedy? If you say, Rick, I love the sensual. I want the sensual. Then what do I become? Lust-filled? Rick, I love Jesus. I want Jesus. Then what do I become? Christ-like? You become what you love. You love what you want. So I brought a picture with me. You want to see it? All right, so here it is. This is my granddaughter, Sadie. So first day of second grade, this past week, it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, you pray for Sadie all the time. But, you know, Nett and I are like praying for Sadie like crazy last week because going to school, we know how important school is. How much is determined by Sadie, you know, what she's going to learn and what kind of teacher she has and all that kind of stuff. And so just, just celebrated like crazy with Sadie. And it's always odd because every time I show a picture of my granddaughter, people say, can I put a picture of my granddaughter on the screen in church? And I'm like, no. So it's just kind of awkward. But, but that's my granddaughter, Sadie. She's eight now in second grade. So I remember when Sadie was born, and I remember looking at her little face, and it was just like perfect. You know what I mean when I talk about the little outlines of her lips, you know, and her nose and her little ears, and, you know, everything. Was just, it was just like, she's perfect, you know? And, and I remember thinking about her when she was born, just that she was, her little heart was so pure, you know? And in those next months of her life, all she wanted to be was loved, you know? She would cry for diaper needed changing if she's hungry. Otherwise, she was just wanting to be loved on. Just, just, just a pure little heart. I, I just thought, you know, she's so innocent. When she became a toddler, I didn't think that as much. But I did when she was young. And so you got this word. It's a Greek word. Kataras. The, the accent's kind of on the last syllable. Kataras. I'll say it, then you say it. Kataras. 
We translate it pure. Do you know what it means actually? Pure. So it's a good translation. But you're saying, what's it mean ethically? Ethically it means unstained. Spotless. Without sin. Without guilt. Anybody want a pure heart? Anybody want to pray with the guy in the Bible whose name was David? God, create in me a clean heart. Anybody in the room saying, is it like possible? Can you get one of those? Can you actually acquire a pure heart? When you described Sadie a minute ago as a little newborn baby, innocent, boy, to go back there, to start that one over, you know what I'm saying? There's a great philosopher, Danish philosopher, theologian, religious author, Soren Kierkegaard. He wrote a book. And the book title is a great definition. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Let it soak in. We wouldn't say will. In our everyday vernacular, we would say want. Purity of heart is to want one thing. I just want one thing. See, what I want is not mixed with other things. It's, it's, it's one, it's untainted, it's pure. What I want is God and what God wants for me. That's where he's going. I just want God and I want what God wants for me. I just want one thing. And I want that one thing more than I want anything else in the world. So if I gave you a definition, I would say it's this. A pure heart is a heart of undivided loyalty to God. Just saying, God, you know what? I want what you want. And I want you. And, 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 and there's nothing else that I want more than that. I, I, just, I just want my heart to be loyal to you. I just want undivided loyalty to you, God. That's, that's what I want. So let me tell you a story, okay? So in the Bible in Luke 10, Jesus gets invited to somebody's house for dinner. Do you love it when you get invited to somebody's house for dinner? We got invited to somebody's house for dinner last night, and, and uh, we just walked in right at dinner time, and they're like, just have a seat at the table. And we sit down, and all this hot food comes rolling out. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? You just sit down, and you just eat until you can't, you know? So Jesus gets that kind of invitation to Martha's house, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, their siblings. And so Martha is like trying to get dinner on the table. She's going nuts, you know, just trying to get everything on the table. And it's, you know, challenging and she's working hard. Mary, her sister, however, is content just to sit right here on the floor at Jesus' feet. What's up, Nick? Good to see you. 
And so Mary says, scoot over a little bit. Does it not bother you that I'm doing all this work and Mary is just sitting there at your feet? And Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are distracted with many things. I know there is a lot to do. You got a lot going on, girl. But Jesus says, one thing, one thing is needful. And I'm not going to take that away from her. She's just sitting here at my feet in my presence with me. So how do I how do I get that pure heart? Cuz I want to live the blessed life, right? I want the best life possible. I think it's David's prayer. God, you would have to do this in me. I, I cannot, I can't will myself a, a pure heart. I can't try hard enough and make it pure. You, you would have to create in me a clean heart, oh God. I can't, I can't do it. Full confession, full disclosure, I've tried. It didn't work out. So God, would you give me that undivided loyalty? Would, would you help me to want you and what you want more than anything in the world? Because right now, some other things have my eye. I'll pray for us. Lord, create in us a clean heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You want to stand? So I'll just say that uh, if you've been hanging around lately, it feels like during this series, it just makes a lot of sense to say, would you want to pray before you go? Because if you do, it's okay. We have an altar, and that's, that's all it is. It's a place to pray. It doesn't mean that you're becoming a member of the church or anything else. It just means, hey, that's a great place to talk to God. And so if you want to talk to God the day before you go, you, you'd be more than welcome to come from where you are and just kneel at the altar. And I'll be hanging out over here, and we'll have some other pastors around. Uh, we'd, we'd be glad to pray with you if you want to come to one of us and say, hey, pray with me, you know. So let's sing this song of uh, commitment before we go. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.